Come on up, kids. You're already up. But you ran back here. So you were up in the front, in the back, but then you came back? Cool. Well, I know you don't know what I'm doing, but you will in a few minutes. Promise. What do you think I might be doing? There's too many kids sitting there? I don't think so. What do you think? What do you think should be happening? All right, boys and girls, can I have your attention right now up here? Look what I've got. Ooh, come on up. What do you see? I don't know. You don't know what that is? That's cat poop. I knew that. It's a kitty litter box with real cat poop in it. Ew. I know, ew. That's why you can't just leave. it was treats. No, it's not treats, I promise. That's real kitty litter poop. Here, you want to see it? Whoa, Jesus, help me. Thank the Lord. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You guys are good helpers. Thank you so much. Here, I'll put this here. Perfect. That's a little bit of water that fell out of the jug. Here, come here. Look, you want to see the poop? Isn't that gross? Okay, you guys go sit back down at the table. I mean, at the chairs. I want to show you something. See, this is gross, isn't it? This is gross. You don't like to have... But see, I have cats. And you have to have a place for them to go poop. Otherwise, they just poop on your carpet. So we have to every so often, we have to every so often, Miss Renee and I have to go downstairs into our house and we have to scoop out the poop. Like that? Yeah. Here, I'll push it in. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I forgot my bag. My bag. Go ahead and sit back down, please. Okay, I had a bag. Somebody show me where my bag went. Oh, okay. Can you do me a favor, sweetie? Underneath the table, there's a plastic bag. I need you to hand me that plastic bag. It's rolled up. Do you see it? Great. It looks like a bouncy ball. looks like a bouncy ball, but it's not. I promise. He did. Okay, goodbye. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to finish cleaning out all the poop from my kitty litter. And here we go. I'm cleaning it out. Getting more poops out of the kitty litter. Little bit more. Just a little bit. Let's see. Did I get it all? I think I got it all. Okay, good. So now it's all out. So let me wrap this up because we don't want the poop coming out of the bag, do we? That would be gross. That's not my poop. That's that's just the bottom. Now this is just the bottom of the kitty litter. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna put I'm this back for now. I'm going to put this back for now because I'm done with this part of it. I'll have to clean that. I'll have to take that back to my house. But here, you know what? I decided I'm thirsty. So you know what I'm going to do? I want to get a drink of water. Go ahead and take a seat, please. Take a seat on the chair. So I'm going to take a drink of water, okay? 
Should I take a drink of water out of this cup? Yeah. I really shouldn't, should I? You know why I shouldn't? Because I, it's got, it had been, it been gotten poop on it. It had poop in it. That's gross. So what I need to do, first of all, I need, go ahead and sit down, please. Sit down. Over there. Sit on the table, on the chair. Thank you. Okay. I have to wash this cup because I don't want to drink out of a dirty cup. So I've got my washcloth and I put some water in. Go ahead and sit down, sweetie. Oh, wait a minute. I need some soap, don't I? Because you want to wash with soap, right? So here's dishwashing soap. So I'm going to put some dishwashing soap in. Okay, go ahead and sit down. It's going to look like bubbles. It's going to look like bubbles. Yeah, like in a bathtub. Okay, go ahead and sit down, please. Sit down on the chair. Thank you. Okay, so here's my washcloth. So I'm washing the cup, making sure it's nice and clean. Washing, washing, washing the cup. And now I'm going to rinse it off. Okay, I cleaned all the cup now. I'm going to dry it. I'm going to dry the cup. And now I'm ready to pour water into it and make a drink, right? Why not? What do you mean I didn't get it inside? Oh, you mean I'm supposed to clean the inside? Oh, so you have to do that. So I have to clean the inside of the cup like this. So it's important not just to do the outside, but the inside too. How come? Because I put the poop inside the cup. So I want to clean out the part that had the poop in it. Oh, okay. So I'm cleaning the cup and now I'm wiping the clean cup down. And now can I drink it? Yes. Okay, now I can drink it. So this is okay? Okay. By the way, church, this is a cup from my house. So beware when you come over for coffee. So let me ask a question, kids. Was it gross that I picked up poop with that cup? Was it <laughs> Mary's like, yes. But was I not able wasn't I, I not able to make the cup clean again? Right? I can make the, I made the cup clean again, right? So that I could use the cup again. And, but I had to clean not just the outside, I had to clean the inside. Exactly. But so you know, there is a story in the Bible about Jesus telling people about cleaning cups. Did you know that? And in that story, he says, cleaning the outside of a dirty cup doesn't do any good. You have to clean the inside. And you know why he said you have to clean the inside? Because that's where the dirt is. And Jesus said, it's kind of like when you live your life. If you take a bath, and you put on clean clothes and you go to church, but you still have mean stuff in your heart or anger in your heart or, 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 or rebellion in your heart. 
God doesn't see the pretty outside. God sees what's inside. And Jesus said, what's inside is what God cares about. So the Bible says we should always ask God to help us to have a clean heart. To ask God to help us not to have meanness or ugliness in our heart. Okay, well, mom can... Okay, we'll take care of that in a minute. I don't want you to be honest. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, I want to pray with you guys. And I want you to understand. I want to help God to help you understand that you need to ask God to forgive you so that you can be clean in your heart, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you help these kids understand. Help them not to just remember the poop in the cup. Help them to remember that the cup can be cleaned so that it can be used. Because if you clean it right, they can still be used, even though there was dirt in their cup. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can go back to your class now, okay? And I don't want to use this half table anymore for water. My wife's not in the room. Don't tell her. Because I didn't ask permission. I just did. I know I'm dead meat when she finally sees the video. But it is a cup that we don't normally use. It's a cup that normally sits in the windowsill. Just know. You'll never want to use the dark blue cobalt coffee cup at my house. Even though there's multiple cups. So you'll never know which one it was. <sighs> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. This is a hard... Hi, baby. This is a very hard, hard passage to try and preach from. Honestly, I've been dreading it for weeks. And when... Um, when I turned, <laughs> when I turned this week and opened up the Bible and started to read for this sermon, I was like, oh, I didn't want this. Oh, well, because guess who was supposed to be preaching today? Elsie. This is the fifth Sunday of the month. I planned that she would be preaching this chapter. <laughs> I planned it out months ago. When I set it all up, I was like, yes, I don't have to preach the 23rd chapter of Matthew. And then the stupid pastor in North Pole called and said, do you think Elsie could preach for me on the 29th? I'm like, sure. And Elsie said, I would love to. And I was like, hmm. So I get to preach Matthew chapter 23. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Because God is going to speak through me to you. Amen. Clean the cup. Clean the cup. <laughs> Better yet, don't use the cup for cat litter. Okay, amen, let's go home. No, no, that's not all there is to it. I mean, that's a lot of it. That's a lot of it. Because I, I guarantee you, there are some of you out there, without realizing it, you have used the cup for picking up cat poop. You really have. You just haven't faced it yet. And when the Holy Spirit of God talks to you about it, you need to ask him to clean that mess up. So that you will be useful for the kingdom in the future. See, the kids don't get that because that's too deep. But you can get it. Let's read through. We're only going to read through the first 12 verses. 
I do have to bring to you the whole chapter today because that's what God wants. But, but for the, for the reading part of it, we're just going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 23. So this is Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 12. Now, again, to go back to our little timeline of the, of the Passion Week that I handed out a couple weeks ago, we are still on Monday. It is still Monday morning. Jesus has had this confrontation going with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the people who are trying to trip him up. And this is finally the end of that long, lengthy discussion that's taking place up on the Temple Mount. And Jesus, for the first 12 verses, is talking to his disciples. And then from 13 on to almost the end of the chapter, he then turns and prophetically declares woes over the prophet, the Pharisees. Okay. So chapter 23 verses one through 12, Jesus said to the crowds up in the temple mount and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. What is Moses's seat? Does anybody know? Okay. How many of you have watched the chosen? The television show, The Chosen. How many of you have seen the, the video, the, the, the episode where Jesus is invited to read from the scroll in the synagogue? And after he reads from the scroll, he steps back and sits down in a chair. Do you remember that at all? That happened every single week in every single synagogue, wherever there is a synagogue. The person whose job it is, is to bring the word will then open the scroll, read from the word of God. The scroll is closed. The person then sits down in Moses's seat and speaks the exegesis of that passage. What I'm doing right now is sitting in Moses's seat. I have a weighty responsibility to not just read the word of God to you, but to interpret the word of God for you. Some of you are very old in the Lord. You've known God for 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you 60 years. Some of you have only come to faith recently. Some of you have been in the, in the family of God for years, but never really delved deeply into the word of God. So all of us are on different levels of understanding and maturity of the word of God. I will give you a for instance without using names. My wife and I were in conversation with a person this week. They were sharing some of the struggles that they're in. They were trying to make a decision about something. I can't tell you what because you might know who this person is. And my wife and I were trying to help them to understand that it wasn't ungodly. It wasn't not a good, uh, uh, a good, what a good Christian would do to, to not be sure of the path that God wants for them to take. And so I said to them, well, if you go to the book of Judges, chapter six through, through nine, but chapter six, you'll see the story of Gideon. You know, you've heard of Gideon. Uh huh. I heard of Gideon. Well, do you, you've heard about the Gideon laying out the fleece, right? What? This is a person who's known the Lord for a long, long time, who grew up in the church. Didn't know the story of Gideon's fleece. How many of you know the story of Gideon's fleece? I'm going to embarrass you. Raise your hand. If you've never heard of it, be honest. Gideon's fleece was simply this. God said to Gideon, I want you to do this. And Gideon's like, oh, I'm not so sure if this is really what I need to be doing. Oh, God, please, please confirm in my heart that this is really what you want. Do you mind if it's okay if I just do a test? And God's like, what's the test? He said, I'm going to lay a, a, a skin of an animal out, a sheep skin, a fleece. And I'm going to ask you, God, to please, please, when the, when the morning comes, let everything around be dry and only the water, the dew beyond the fleece. 
So the next morning, Gideon gets up and all of the ground is dry, but the fleece is wet. And he's able, it says he soaks, he rinses, wrings out a full cup of dew. And God says, got it? And he's like, oh, can I, can I, can I try one more time, please? This time, can you, could you just put only the dew around the fleece, but let the fleece be completely dry tomorrow morning, please? Just to convince me, because I'm just still, I'm scared. And so the next morning, God answers that prayer and the ground is completely wet with dew, but the fleece is completely dry. And then Gideon is fully convinced that what God is asking to do is indeed what God wants him to do. And he goes on and does it. And he, and you know, the story, well, this person who's known the church, been in the church forever and forever and forever had never heard that story. Why? They never read it. So my job is to not expect that you know everything and just say, well, we can go home now. My job is to sit in Moses' seat and to expound to you. So that's what my attempt is to this morning. Um, but the challenge comes in, what if I am not preaching properly? Okay? See, if you look in the book of Acts, Paul said that there was a group of people called the Bereans who were more worthy, more of honor, because every time he preached in their presence, they would go home that night and search the scriptures to make sure that what he said to them was accurate and true according to what the scriptures say. So they didn't just take it at face value, what he was saying, even though he was sitting in Moses' seat. So that's what Jesus is bringing up here. Okay, this idea of Moses' seat being a place where you expound or exegete the word of God, and then the people hearing it are to take it in, but doing it, doing so discerningly, with, with, with carefulness, with mindfulness, listening, chewing on, fleshing it out for themselves. Okay, so let's go back to the reading of Matthew chapter 23. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. So Jesus is saying to the people around him, the Pharisees and the scribes, it's their job to explain God's word to you. So you listen to them and do what they tell you. Wait a minute. You just spent the last hours fighting with them. You guys are, now you're telling us to follow them? Jesus leaves a caveat though. Let's read on. But don't do the works that they do. Do whatever they tell you, but don't do the works that they do. Well, that's a slap in the face. Here, the preacher is supposed to be expounding the truth of God to you, and you're supposed to listen to him and do what he says, but don't do what he does. Why? For they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear. They lay those burdens on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to move them even with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you, well, before we go farther... He, he was laying out this, how are they presenting themselves in public? Now, I just said two things that you may not be familiar with, because again, some of you are in different levels of understanding of the scripture. He said to them, Jesus said, they make, verse 
5. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Well, in today's vernacular, a fringe is a bang in your hair, right? So they make their hair long? No. What is he saying when they say their fringe is long? Does anybody know? In their garments. garments, It became known as the prayer shawl that the men would wear. There would be tassels hanging down from the corners of the prayer shawl. And the tassels, according to the scripture, they had to have one single blue cord hanging as part of that tassel. If you remember a couple of weeks back, we talked about the woman who was suffering from bleeding for 12 years and she crawled and pushed through the crowd. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, she was literally reaching for the tassel, the fringe of his garment. So Jesus is saying, these people are putting on a show. Don't do what they do. They're all show. They like their fringes long. They like their tassels to be big and showy. What are phylacteries? Anybody know what a phylactery is? Boxes with prayer. prayer. They're also known as tefillin. T-E-F-I-L-L-I-N, I think. Craig, I've got a video I want to show you guys. Go ahead and bring that up. Let's watch this. It's, it's a few minutes long, but it's, it gives a really good understanding of what a Teflon is. Sound. Great. There we go. Hi. Welcome to Jewish.tv DIY. Today we're going to learn how to put on a film. Putting on tefillin is a mitzvah for all Jewish men and boys from ages 13 and up. It's a mitzvah to put on tefillin every single day, except for Shabbat and biblical holidays. Before we get started, we should just mention how crucial it is to make sure that you're still on kosher. The tefillin boxes are made of animal hide and so are the parchments contained inside them. The parchments have certain Torah verses written on them. Like mezuzah and Torah scrolls, they are made by expert scribes according to many intricate laws. They need to be bought from a reliable source, and even then, the boxes, the parchments inside, and the straps should all be checked periodically by a scribe or wear and tear. You may see different people put it on film in different ways. For the sake of simplicity, we're just going to show one way. Before we put the film on, let's just take a closer look at it. Okay, so you have two black leather boxes with straps in your film bag. One's for the arm, and the other is for the head. Once you open the cases, an obvious difference is that the arm stone has only one strap, while the head stone has two straps. You can also tell the arm and head stone apart because the arm stone straps have this slidable knot that opens and closes the loop, while the knot in the head stone straps stays tied in place. Another difference is that the arm stone has a smooth box, while the head stone's box is marked with three vertical lines because there are four different compartments inside the leather box itself, each containing different parchments. Yet another difference is that the headstone has a Hebrew letter shin on both sides. The side of the handstone is smooth and usually has a special protective cover on it. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is open the bag containing the stone. Then we remove the arm stone first and we remove the plastic casing from the stone. The tefillin goes on the weaker arm, so right-handed people will put it on their left arm, 
left hand people put on the right arm. Roll up your sleeve so that the filling is in direct contact with your arm. Put your arm through the loop and place the black box up on your bicep just below the halfway point between your shoulder and the elbow right across from your heart. From the time that you make the blessing until both fill are in place, no interruptions have to be made. So we're going to make the blessing together and then we're going to walk through the procedure explaining each step. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kiddushan Benizotav Betzibanu Lehaniach Tfilin Okay, so we're going to pull the strap through to tighten the spine and not close. You want to make sure that the knot is directly touching the box. Wrap the strap up and over the strap socket and over your bicep three times. This creates a total of three straps, representing the leather shin on the top of your arm. Continue to wrap seven more times around your forearm. Then do a half circle diagonally across your hand and once around your palm. So now we're going to put on the head film before coming back and finishing out the arm film. Take out the head film from its plastic case. The box goes on your head so that the front edge of the box rests just above the hairline. If your hairline is receded, you will. So much for the internet. It'll take just a second for it to, to buffer. While you're watching this and waiting for this to come in, turn to Deuteronomy 11, 18. Well, here we go again. Center in the middle of your head, lined up right between your eyes. Pull the straps down around the side of your head, over your shoulders, so that the straps are hanging down in front of you like this. The knot in the back, shaped like the little dollar, should rest on the ridge at the base of your skull. It shouldn't hang down onto your neck. Okay, now we're going to go back to the arm film. The strap is wrapped up and over the base of the middle finger, then just above the first joint, and then back a second time around the base of the finger. Most likely you'll have some extra length of strap, so just wrap it around your palm and tuck into the tail end so that it doesn't come undone. While you have your film on, you should be mindful of Avoid any unnecessary conversation and stay out of any unclean places. When taking out the film, we do it in the exact reverse order. That is, we're first going to take out the straps around the hands, and then we remove the head film, and finally the rest of the arm film. And that's a wrap. Now that you know, time to do it yourself. Turn to Deuteronomy 11:18. And Craig is the video is the uh, uh, the the, uh, the video recording is going correct? Yeah. Okay. And could you bring up the? Uh, well, you can just leave that. That's fine. There we go. Thank you. Deuteronomy 11:18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul 
and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So this binding of the phylacteries, the binding of the tefillin, is actually commanded in the book of Deuteronomy. And you heard him say, but it was quick, so you may not have caught it. It is what's called a mitzvah, which means it is a required duty of every male age 13 and older. So any male who has bar mitzvah, who is now an adult in the, in the, uh, the community of Jews, is required every single day, except for Sabbath and holy days, to put on the phylactery and to pray the prayer. Now, let me read to you a, re- a reading that I took off of another website describing what this process is. After you get it all done and you're all done, before you take it off, you're supposed to pray. Now, the whole point of this is you're supposed to be connecting your heart and your mind with God. So what it says is meditate for a moment. Be conscious that God himself commanded that Tefillin contain four biblical passages, which you can research it yourself. There are actually four specific biblical passages that are written on those parchments. And that, uh, and each of those passages mention God's unity and the exodus from Egypt in order that we remember the miracles and the wonders that God performed for us, demonstrating that God has power and dominion over all. Also note that God has enjoined us to place the Tephilim on the arm adjacent to our heart and on the head over the brain so that we may submit our conscious soul, which is the brain, according to Jewish tradition, as well as the desires and thoughts of our heart. So we want these to be submitted to God. Thus, Tephilim phylacteries serve as an inspiring springboard to serve God in a state of inspiration and to study Torah, which is God's wisdom. At the very least, take a moment to remind yourself that Tephilim is a mitzvah, a commandment of God. It is best to pray the entire morning prayers while wearing your tefillin. However, if that's not possible, at least say the Shema. And then it lists all of the prayers that you can pray. Now, this is a daily practice of Jewish men. This is required. This is part of their thing. So why is Jesus calling the Pharisees out in Matthew chapter 23 for making their phylacteries broad? Well, they, possibly that they're wearing them all day. No, they're demonstrating that they are calling attention to themselves by going out of their way to make it obvious that they are very dedicated. Exactly, exactly. This is all about me. The whole point of the tefillin, the whole point of phylacteries, the whole point of the tassels is an, out, is an outward expression of my dependence on God and my, my, my reliance upon God and my acknowledgement that God is God and that God is the only God and that God is all-powerful and almighty. And I am to every day submit myself before God, declaring He is one, declaring that I am His, declaring that I am aligning my mind and my heart with Him. That's what this is all about. But what it has become for many, many, many people is it has become a talisman. It has become a a, a thing to keep ward off evil. 
It has become, you know, sprinkling holy water so that no evil can befall me. That's what it has become for many, many, many people. Because the focus has shifted from what it was supposed to be. This was supposed to be an everyday act of submission to God. Alignment with God. The purpose being to remind me who I am in relation to God. And the end result was they were trying to promote themselves by wearing really wide phylacteries and really long tassels saying, look at me how holy and righteous I am. So Jesus said, these people whose job it is, is to expound to you the word of God by reading it before you and then teaching you because you don't have the full understanding. Listen to what they say. Just don't do what they do. Let's see what they did. Now, Matthew chapter 23 is the only passage in all of the Gospels that has these seven pronounced woes. What is a woe? A woe is a bad thing. It is, it, it means a complaint, it means misery, it means, ah, oh, woe is me. But when a prophet speaks a woe over another person or over a group of people, he is pronouncing a judgment, he is pronouncing that may God do to you all that God has promised because you refuse to be the way you're expected and supposed to be. So you need to understand woe is you. Woe is you if you don't do what you know you're supposed to be doing. So Jesus is pronouncing as a prophet because that's what he's supposed to be doing at this point in his ministry. He is prophetically speaking over the nation of Israel, the leaders, the teachers of Israel saying, you people have trashed all of it because of your selfishness, your sinfulness, your unrighteousness, your unwillingness to submit to God. And look at what's going on even right now. Standing here in the temple, I am the Messiah, and you are trying to undermine me in front of everyone. Woe to you. But then he names these seven woes. Now, one of the things you're going to find in this woe section is there's actually eight woes. But there's only seven that are in every single passage that we have that's of the written scriptures. Verse 14, in some of your translations, will be a footnote. And verse 14 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and a and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Now, those two things, devouring widows' houses and uh, making grandiose prayers in public so that you, he says you're going to get greater condemnation. Those actually came out of the book of Mark and out of the book of Luke, but they were not part of a woe situation. Okay? So scholars think that some, some scribes someplace down thousands of years ago added verse 14 into the verse that he, I mean, to the passage that he was translating, um, or transcribing. But that it wasn't in the original document. So most scholars say that there are only seven woes, not eight. But that's why. That's why you'll see in some cases there's a verse 14. In some cases there's not. It's in the footnote. But let's look at the seven that scholars agree on. Number one. Woe to you, scribes of verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Whose job is it to teach the scribes and the Pharisees? They are literally shutting the door 
barring entrance into the kingdom of God because they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Woe to you, verse 16. Excuse me, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Because they teach him their ways. Because their ways are way more than just the word of God. They have rules after rules after rules after rules after rules. And you have to follow them. We could go back and talk about all the different things. Remember the one, one episode where the Pharisees said, "What your, your people aren't even washing their hands before they eat. That was a rule made up by the Pharisees. That wasn't Bible. I mean, there is Bible stuff talks about washing. But anyway, verse 16, woe to you blind guides. And then he talks about in that passage, swearing, you know, in other words, I, on God's, on God's truth, I mean, I, I swear to God, I swear on the Bible, I swear on the temple, I swear on the altar. That's what this is talking about. And Jesus is saying, you are telling people that if they swear by the temple, that means nothing, but if they swear by the gold that's in the temple, oh, well then that, that swear means something. What? You say if they swear by the altar, that means nothing. But if it swears by the sacrifice that's on the altar, it means something. What? Don't you get it? What makes the sacrifice holy? What makes the gold holy? The presence of God. God. They're swearing before God saying this is true. That's what. But you literally. Oh, woe to you. Woe to you. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Both insects and camels are unclean. Literally, one of the commentators I read said he was in the Middle East when a person who was following this law took his his wine, whatever, his water, whatever it was, covered it with part of his clothing and drank through the clothing. And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, I'm not allowed to ingest insects. I'm making sure that I keep any insects from coming into my... And that's what Jesus is talking about here to these Pharisees. You strain out a gnat, but you glug down a camel. They're both unclean. You're so worried about the minutia. You're so worried about the little, little, little stuff that you're missing the big picture. You tithe your dill, your cumin, and your mint, but you, you don't show justice. You don't show mercy. You don't show humility. And then he t- goes into this cleaning of the, of the cup. And then he talks about cleaning, <coughs> excuse me, whitewashing tombs. Whitewashing of a tomb is simply this, taking a lime solution and whitewashing the outside of the tomb. Why? Not because they wanted it to be pretty, but because it was a defiling thing for any Jew to come in contact with a, a grave or bones or a dead body. 
So these people are coming to Jerusalem for the festival. And so for a month before the festival, these people would go out and they'd whitewash all the dead places. You know, like the crosses on the road where somebody has died. That's their culture. Wherever the person dies, they bury them right there. And then they erect a little a little grave thingy. So they, they're whitewashing it. So don't go near here because you're going to be defiled. And then you can't participate in the festival. That's literally what was going on just outside of Jerusalem for about a month prior to this time frame. So when Jesus spoke those words, everyone knew what he was talking about. You whitewash graves. But you don't worry about what's inside. In the verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you're like, no, then verse 29. You, you build tombs for the prophets. You decorate the monuments for the righteous. Saying, oh, if we had lived during that day, we never would have, we never would have killed the prophets. We would have honored what they said. What are you doing right now, scribes and Pharisees? Now, that's the gist of what this is all about. What's the so what? What's the takeaway for me? Why did I have to look at this? Why did God make me preach this this morning? I showed you the video of the phylacteries for a reason. Number one, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to give you an understanding of what it was. But you saw how detailed and complicated that process was. Now, do it every day. You'll get to the point where you don't have to do it. think through it. You just do it, right? But there's a certain way it has to be done. There are certain words that have to be said. And there are certain things that you have to go through as you're going through this time of connecting with God. I was in Bible college back in 1998 to 2003. And in the year 2002, in the spring, I had to attend a required prayer retreat. It was part of our course. So we were there from Friday night through Sunday. And one of the tasks that we had to do on Saturday morning was they told us to go out. They wanted us to just go find a place out on, on the property somewhere. It was like this. I mean, it was just wooded and, 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 and wilderness around us. We were up in the mountains in Colorado. And they said, go find a place and just get along with God. Spend an hour with God. But we want you to be intentional about focusing on whatever we were supposed to focus on. So while I was up in the mountain, focusing and meditating on my relationship with God, I found this stick. Now, it's now 20 plus years old because I've been here 20 years. And I picked this up in 2002, so it's... 21 years old, older, obviously, because it had to grow. So it's 21, 22 years old. While I was meditating in that hour, I was just looking at the stick. And I noticed that there was, I, I started peeling away the little, the soft bark that was on the stick and just got to the woody core. And I noticed that there was some defects and deformity. There was some different shading there was actually, and there is, you can still see it, um, there's two trails where insects actually burrowed underneath the bark and literally made channels in the wood. And as I was doing this handling and meditating, and I was noticing that the oil from my hand was starting to polish the wood. And so literally, I spent an hour and I started, you know, finding oily spots on my body and doing this and spent the hour polishing while I was meditating and it was one of the most glorious profound experiences of my life connecting with God in a powerful way 
And then we had to come back. And after lunch, we then had to gather as a group and share what had happened in that hour of prayer and meditation. So I shared what I just shared with you and said it was powerful, glorious. And so then the professor said to us, okay, now we want you to go out for another hour. Total silence. You can't talk to anybody, can't be with anybody. But now we want you to focus on, and I don't remember what the focus on thing was. But I wanted to recapture what I had just experienced. And we were focusing on something about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross or something about him dying for me. That was something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was 20 years ago. But I found, I found a thorn bush. And I didn't have a knife with me, so I just broke off one of those long, long, probably four feet long, really sharp, pointy. It was causing blood for me to handle it. And I wove, I spent 45 minutes, because I had to be back by the end of the hour. I spent 45 minutes weaving a, a crown of thorns. Thinking about the crown that Jesus wore for me and the blood that he had to shed. And I was shedding blood. I was going through pain. I was, it was just incredible. And it was so incredible. And when we got back, I shared what I did. And the, the professor said, did you connect with God? No, I was too focused on what I was doing. Well, you kind of missed what the assignment was, Bob. Because we didn't tell you to go make a thorn crown. We told you to go connect with God. And there was no going back and fixing it. I couldn't go back and connect with God. What had happened? I had selfishly tried to recapture a moment in time where I was really close with God and I felt really, and I wanted that again. And instead, I allowed the enemy of my soul to totally distract me from what my purpose was by doing something that I thought was holy. And God whispered to me as I was preparing this sermon, just like these guys who have practiced putting on my phylactery over and over and over again to the point where it's just a talisman now. It's just a way to ward off evil. They go through the process. They say the prayers. Now they're good. They can go on with the rest of their day. They're not connecting with me. They're just going through the motions. That's selfish. That's, that's worldly. That is not godly. And this represents to me godly. This represents to me me connecting with the Lord. This is why it sits on the desk in front of me when I have devotions every single day. It's there to remind me I need to connect with God. I got rid of the, the thorn wreath a long time ago. It has nothing for me. So what did I hear in this and why am I saying all of this to you? What I want you to understand is the scripture in front of you and has been in front of you all morning long. Psalm 51 verse 10. This was poured out from David's heart after he committed the sin with Bathsheba. As a result of that sin, the child who was conceived by him and Bathsheba died. David was publicly humiliated by his court. 
There was grief in his heart. And it says that he literally sat in the tabernacle fasting for seven days on behalf of the child until ultimately the child died. And this psalm is what David poured his heart out to God. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right steadfast spirit within me. Because see, reading the Bible, going to church, praying can just be actions that mean nothing if you don't really connect with God. If you don't really and truly focus on God and not you, then you might as well just go bowling. Because it's about the same spiritually. So my, my heart for you guys this morning and what, what I hear God saying is, make sure that you don't sit in Moses' seat and talk real good words but the way you live your life doesn't lead anybody to Christ. Make sure when you connect with God, you connect with God and then let it change you and transform you. Because just like I showed the children, washing the outside does nothing for usefulness. The inside has got to be cleansed and sanitized before you can actually drink from the cup again. And that's exactly where you all need to be. Not just an initial, oh, I believe in Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm baptized. Now I'm good. But literally every single day, connecting with God intentionally, not for yourself, but for God. God, help me today to honor you. Help me today to speak truth. Let people see my life and bring glory to you today. Nothing about me, all about you. And if that's not your relationship right now, you're just like those Pharisees. Woe to you. Woe to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us that everything has to be about you and you alone. Help us, God, to honor you with our, our, our words our actions, and especially with our heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. David.